0: Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. You're about to hear a session from our recent workshop on healthy sexuality entitled God's Design for Sex. We hope you enjoy it and will check out each episode from the event. For more information about 3SC, visit our website, threestrands.church.
1: So I'm going to open again with the same verse because I'm, again, not sure how the Lord wants to weave it through, but Genesis 4-7. And and it will come up in our, definitely in our third and fourth session, but Genesis 4-7 is the Lord speaking to Cain, saying, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you are pleasing, will not your attitude, your disposition be cheerful? But if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. I'll elaborate a little bit because um, I found it I have found it to be curious um, just in my own study that the only quant the, the consequence of not doing well is our response. You not doing well is our response if I said that correctly. If our response to not doing well in and I In the first session, I had the hula hoop on, and I'll I'll get that on again at some point tonight. But our stepping outside of the perfect love of God in an agreement that we did not do well, that we are not pleasing. Um, And there's a conversation of confession, repentance, and all of that, that goes along with that to remain pleasing. But then the warning is that sin is crouching at the door, And actually the word crouching is on, it's all fours. I've thought of the pouncing, you know, lion later, you know, Peter talks about that. But this word here is sin is crouching on all fours, kneeled down, waiting for you to jump, get out of that perfect love of God. And he, the Lord says, its desire is for you. I believe that's an agreement. He wants you to agree with the adversary but you must master it. We must master that agreement and know who we are in our identity. I have um, several workshops that I've said that I've pulled together to make this material, and um, we've got the God's Design for Sex, which had pieces of this morning, um, some new parts, but, and some from the Identity Agreement workshop that I do as well. Um, the Sexual Development Workshop, um, along with God's Design for Sex, is a um, workshop that happens on the second Tuesday of the month. And I would love to have your email. Send you the registration link. What you have heard, to, what you will hear today, are snippets from those, not the entirety, and they are packed with good stuff. Um, and they happen every month in rotation. And that way you can sit and absorb, sit and absorb. If you've enjoyed this and you think there's more there, there is. Please um, put your name on the the list on the table and I'll send you those registration links. There's also another workshop that I do on reflective listening. We will close with that um, because when it comes to this idea of doing well and not doing well and sin crouching at the door and it's desirous for us, but we must master it, we have to Learn in our walk and on this journey whether we are talking about sexual issues or whether we're talking about overworking or whether we're talking about numbing out through Facebook or food or whatever it might be, we have made a conclusion in our head, an agreement, an opinion that has superseded God in His opinion and we have to align that with him. And so the reflective listening exercise is a worksheet um, and we do now have it on the workshop because it's so helpful in teasing out what we call core issues that are driving um, problematic behaviors, okay? And we've got to get the core, get to the core of the lie that is in the heart that is in agreement with the adversary that we continue to fuel that fire. If We will bring that thing up and look at it. And there, again, lies confession, repentance, and then turning away from that. But we have to deal with that core issue and that lie. And so that is a skill set we don't come naturally with. We have to be taught that. And in your small groups, it's something that does happen, but it's also something that you can help cultivate an environment that will do that more. Um, so that's a kind of a concluding of where we're going to end up with. But as I was um, on our break in between sessions, I realized that I had eliminated a, a truth of God's design by accident, and it's simply because of chopping things up and moving them and getting them into. Um, these workshops, and it deals with the design, um, and predominantly, and we touch on a little bit in the next slide, and we've got five slides here, not too in-depth, but we'll get some balls rolling in the regard of dysfunction, but in the design, um, in the pursuit of your spouse, and uh, the one and only that I mentioned, the interaction of intercourse and and the orgasmic response versus a masturbation response is significant. Um, You can ask any addict who has the, there is not the full release of the endorphins and it's less satisfying. Works, but it's not, it's not quite it. And this is why. When we are in pursuit of um, sexual, uh, our, our sexual appetite, let's say, um, w- as well as it would be for a meal or anything else you're pursuing, you want to get accomplished, okay, you're in this pursuit, but when we're talking about sex now and we're talking about specifically a masturbation uh, habit, um, the or the conclusion of an intercourse orgasm versus a masturbation orgasm, the... Uh, Masturbation, orgasm does not have the full release of endorphins because we know that uh, both men and women upon release have a uh, release of prolactin. It's a neurochemical that you might be familiar with when um, mothers are nursing and there's a release of prolactin there. It has multiple uses in the biology. But in this sense, in the orgasmic response, it, it... the slide that I have, I use those two arrows that were uh, they come together, and, and let's say this one is the dopamine pursuit, it's the I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it, and, and if you are outside of the one flesh union and, and having that accomplished through masturbation, you never have the, the prolactin, and the prolactin is 400% higher during intercourse than it is in masturbation. And what prolactin does is it calms down the pursuit tension and releases it, and it gives the euphoric bliss. So there's this relaxation that happens. This this tension is gone, and it's by design in in the coupling of the husband and wife, the marital union. And so if if one is in a masturbation habit, a pornography habit, lustful habit, whatever it might be, um, you have you don't have that full release. You have some, but you don't have all. And so that prolactin helps us to feel satiated, satisfied entirely. And so that's very important to know by God's design that he— and, and that goes back to the consummation, um, and that parallels with, again, anything that you were pursuing— you want to obtain, you want to consume it, you want to have that satiation to be gratified entirely. And that also equates in our relationship with God. And I've, I've thought about this in my own personal life. And, and again, all of these can parallel, but in the pursuit of sex, pursuit of food, pursuit of whatever it is you're pursuing and having that not quite satisfied, there's this frustration that it's not been satisfied Or you get it partially, and you know, maybe you had just a little bit to eat, not enough. (laughs) Or you you got half of that job done, not at all, and there's that little bit that that's hung up. Or what about even halfway doing your pursuit of God? Maybe you do some studies, you do, you go to church Sunday morning, but you never stay still in the presence to consummate. The relationship. Your Father in heaven is waiting for those moments that we be still. Now, the adversarial taunting that's out here in this world, you will know it, that um, it gets very tension-driven of you staying silent without doing anything for too long. You just, the thoughts go all over in your head, and you're battling that. But I make that case, and I'm going to leave that there. There's a lot to be said. But that prolactin neurochemical satiation of the dopamine pursuit, by design, totally satisfies that pursuit. Oh, that's much faster. <laughs> it works much better with new batteries. All right, so we had spoken about the... Um, spousal recall. We spoke about um, the pursuit. Um, We're going to start here with a design and go into dysfunction. I want to show you how this works in your neural pathways. Um, This is the design, if you will, of... um, Actually, I think this is the spousal recall. Um, I'm going to populate this. Okay. So you're in pursuit of your spouse. This is by God's design. And then You have your spouse and you're in this pursuit. You've got the higher the buzz that's happening because you are craving your spouse. You have the arousal, you have the orgasm, and you have bonding. The bonding reinforces the entire relationship and then makes you desire to pursue, be aroused, and and have orgasm again. Every time this um, cycle is repeated, it is intensified, and the relationship bonding continues on a deeper and deeper level. Um, and again, this stimulating experience is is being imprinted in the amygdala, and particularly, if you remember, God's design is that you see your spouse as the one and only naked person that you see in the flesh, and so that is imprinted in your uh, neural pathways, and that imprint is recalled in the uh, amygdala for future cravings, that you would crave your spouse. Now, these associations are forming what we call your arousal template. That's a technical, clinical term, but you might as well write it's arousal template, but it's called, uh, in layman's terms, your sexual belief system, okay? Now, I want you to see, what, what do you see on the screen that's being reinforced in this. Any takers to just jump out and see? What's being reinforced? The pursuit of your spouse. This is the the going after your spouse, this euphoric recall of craving your spouse, the, the first and the one and only. So I mentioned this last uh, session that I am convinced that God's commands for purity are designed for our ultimate experience of pleasure. I am convinced of that. He's, you know, God is not a killjoy. You look in His Word; He is pro joy everywhere. He's cautioning you and I to keep it between the ditches. I want you to experience the highest and the best that God has. And he's saying, if you will do this, keep your eye gate pure, ear gate, what, what environment you're living in. So establishing by design this euphoric recall for the one and only one. I believe that this strengthens our yes to God's standard, and I believe it's our motivation to say no to a poor quality that misses the mark. Now, There's a lot that I'm going to be saying about uh, the poor quality that's being tantalized in front of everyone in our culture, but there—because— we, as the body of Christ, have to pick up our game and start having a conversation about God's design and how it is more pleasing and pleasurable, not just even in those neurochemicals I was just telling you about on the prolactin, but when you have a relationship with someone and you have that yada the knowing and becoming known and there's no secrets, there is no fear in that. When there is no fear in that, you have presence. You are there in the moment. You are able to take in all of those experiences and the presence of your Lord even there too. And that's a conversation for thought. Some have, some are disturbed by that. But God created our sexual intimacy. And it is, it is a celebration. Sexual intimacy between a husband and wife. Every time it is, uh, when they come together in the coupling, it is a celebration of their covenant promise. Every time. The exclusiveness of that relationship. And you know how that mirrors God? When you think of what he says about himself in Exodus, when he's talking about in the commandments, that he is a jealous God, that word for jealous means permits no rivals. It is the same design that marriage in the one flesh union is, permitting no rivals. There's so many parallels in scripture in the one flesh union and his desire to be one and only with you, and permitting no other I- idols or idolatry.
0: Hey Sue, can I add something to that for a second? Sure. Okay. So this whole idea of arousal template, okay, this has been this is something you touched on this this morning, and I had like a thousand things I could have said about this, but I just held my peace during church. But so I, I want to just give you guys like some example. This has been a huge thing for me, okay, and so I want to like talk through for you, explain to you, kind of, you know, what I'm talking about or or, or what, she, you know, what she's talking about in relationship to your own experience. So, so to do that, first, I just want to give you an example, right? Um, everybody in the room has probably had a Hershey kiss, right? Unless you're allergic to chocolate, I guess, right? Hershey kiss. And you eat a Hershey kiss, you're like, oh, that was excellent. That was excellent. I love that Hershey kiss, right? But that's the only candy you ever have, all right? And, and then somebody else stands up 20 years later after you eating Hershey Kisses for 20 years and, and says, you know what, they make a whole candy bar out of Hershey's chocolate. And you're like, you want this whole candy bar? Like, no, I don't want that whole candy bar. I, I just like Hershey Kisses, okay? Does that make sense? You know enough, because everybody in the room probably had a Hershey bar also, right? You know enough to know that what a Hershey bar is is a better form, like more of the kiss, Right? And so that's, uh, uh, that's kind of what's happening sexually, right? Everybody from really the ages of like 10, 11, 12 are, 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 are getting hooked on Hershey Kisses and, and never like experiencing the Hershey bar. They're always settling for like uh, a lesser degree of candy and they don't even know they're missing out. So when you try to talk to somebody about like, hey, there's a better way sexually, there's something better you could experience with their spouse their mind has already become so hardwired to a Hershey kiss that the idea of a Hershey bar seems like repugnant to them. They're like, why would I want that? I have kisses. And I could have a different kiss every day, right? Like, so, so that's what's happening when people are settling for pornography, masturbation, um, a bunch of different sexual partners growing up. And then, and then the world convinces you like, no, this is better. Because you're getting variety and your your experience, you're you're learning about sex before you settle down with that one person, and and so what what then happens then is you get married because you decide like, well, I'm going to get married because that's what people do, and I really love this other person, so I want to be with them forever, and you don't even really know what that means at the time probably, but. Because nobody who gets married is really ready to be married. (laughs) But you decide to marry this other person. You want to be with them forever. And then you get married and you start to have sex. And all of a sudden, sex isn't as good as the Hershey Kisses you were settling for. Now what do you do? Now what do you do? When you're one year into marriage and sex isn't as good as pornography or... You've imprinted on your mind so many other sexual partners that now every time you're trying to have sex with your spouse, you're battling all these thoughts from previous sex, sexual encounters. That's the arousal template. So let, let me like break it down for this. Like, so I've, I've probably met or known thousands of women in my life, okay? But I've only had uh, sexualized experiences with some of them. Okay, The ones that I've never had sexual experiences with, when I'm with Stephanie, I don't think about them at all. I don't battle them at all. But the ones that I've imprinted on my mind, it now becomes a war where I have to compare what I'm doing with previous encounters. And I don't know if, if you aren't at that place yet or if you're married and you've experienced this yet. Anybody who is married says they haven't experienced this, probably lying. But, but it's like a war where I have to now battle these imprints on my mind from past encounters, whether it's real people or fictional people on a TV or a computer or a phone, because I've imprinted all these images and these experiences on my mind, and now everything I do moving forward becomes like a a battle against those previous experiences. The best marriage you could possibly have, the best sex you could possibly have with your spouse someday, would be one that was free from all those comparative arousal templates. Does that make sense? But nobody's telling anybody that when they're in middle school or high school or when they're a married person looking at porn or flirting with people in the office or having inappropriate conversations over text message or Snapchat or online. or You don't understand that what you're really doing is you're imprinting things on your mind that are gonna then steal from the enjoyment with your spouse when you try to have sex with them. That's what's really going on. So the church's idea of we're going to stand in front and tell everybody growing up, like, don't have sex because the Lord says not to or he'll strike you dead. Like, that's not the right message, you know? That, the part of the message is God wants you to only have sex within your marriage, but there's reasons for that. And that's kind of what we're talking about, this, this arousal template that, like, there's a cost to pay every time you allow something or someone other than your spouse to imprint on your mind. And some people will be like, well, I'm single. I'm not married. Yeah, well, you, you got to prepare now for the day when you will be. Like, if you think what you do before you're married doesn't affect what happens after you're married, I, I, couldn't, like, I couldn't communicate how wronger you are. I know it's not a word, but, like, you could not be wronger, right, and for lack of a better word, right? but it all, it all imprints, you know, that that like, that's a battle, you know, and, and so um, it's not just other partners, but like, that's, that's a big battle like Stephanie and I have had over the years, and so it's like, but the best sexual experiences we have are times when like, that doesn't invade my thoughts, for me at least, you know, when that stuff doesn't invade my thoughts, and so it's a battle for me to like, overcome that stuff by the power of the Holy Spirit, like working on it day after day, and training your mind not to think about those things, you know? And that's why the, the Bible spends so much time talking about our thoughts.
1: Yeah. And and the why to have that pure, the reason why you would want to guard the arousal template, your sexual belief system. Um, we just have done a poor job of it, and you've actually done a really good way of, of segueing into my next slide. Before I do that, I want to... But in order for and I call this in the delayed gratification, in order for someone to abstain from that immediate gratification culture that we have, they are going to have to have a, a vision of what is waiting for them. We're not even having, com- well, this is one right here. We're having the conversations here about how many thousands of times does this need to be repeated in your county alone? The body of Christ needs the information. And those of you who are young and the younger generation, I'm asking you to get involved and in work like this. So you carry the baton and you pass it into your people and you can change the trajectory of where this is going. But the conversation has to start. So on that note, thank you very much. And you can continue all of those, except my time might have to be extended. if you. <laughs> but here's the thing is that there is more. There is more. There is a higher quality experience available, and you can ask any sex addict, anyone who's been through that road, about empty pursuit. That the endorphins are released, but it's it's without the fullness, the satiation. Carnes, Dr. Carnes, um, he was a contemporary of LASER whom I studied up under. Dr. Carnes makes this statement. He also worked his. He's still alive, but worked in Sexual Addiction Recovery, he says this, despite the great amounts of sexual activity that addicts have, they've not experienced their sexuality, only distortions. What we were seeing, if you could visualize it on the screen, was God's design is the actual sexuality. The distortions are what we're going to be seeing in the next couple of slides. So, what, what's happening is this is confirming what you just heard, that God's design is actually better. It's more satisfying, and we even know it. <laughs> but we're not talking about it because the church has got duct tape on her mouth, I think. So the question is to you, why wouldn't we declare this truth in the church? Why wouldn't we? We've got a better message in all regards. The thing is, we won't guard what we don't value you won't guard what you don't value or are ignorant of and so this is why we need to be aware of how our arousal template is formed so the arousal template is awakened by images sexual and sensual stimulation by exploring the development of one's own body and masturbation. Kids are going to touch themselves, so this is not a freak out over the fact that kids explore their body, right? And and, uh, in the sexual development workshop that we talk a lot about masturbation, um, and it's not like young children even know what, it's not a, a sexually focused thing, it's just the feeling, the pleasures of your body. There's no shame in that. Um, I, I'm gonna get into the other stuff if I don't stop here. In short, the experiences and the mental images establish our arousal template through euphoric recall. Uh, these experiences and images are used to achieve orgasm in subsequent arousal scenarios. So if, the, did that click and do anything? not sure that I did there we go thank you sexual attraction is a part of the arousal template and in itself it is not simple we are designed to be sexually attracted as long as we are not objectifying someone for sexual consumption who is not our spouse that is the caveat they ain't got your ringer ringer on it, your ring on their finger. They're not your spouse. So you consuming them sexually is missing the mark. That is that is sin. So we're gonna talk about, I don't even think you can see that back there. Maybe you can, the sexual consumption in the red. But we're gonna talk about masturbation. For a little bit, Um, the better term is self-stimulation. Masturbation came from the fourth century, actually, when they were cutting off arms and stuff um, over it, and the self-abasement. But basically, it's a self-stimulating, a self-pleasure activity. The church is really silent about it, and the culture is unusually quiet on matters of masturbation. Um, Both leave the topic uh, and the consequences undiscussed. In sexual addiction recovery, we talk about it a lot. It's one of the core common behaviors, and I have dubbed it one of the last soldiers to die. Second to fantasy. Now biologically, with the masturbation habit, we are setting our spouse up for failure. That's the short and sweet of it. A spouse cannot compete with your immediate neural response to the physical sensations of self-stimulation. There's no way. With a masturbation habit, during coupling, the frustration inevitably hinders that patient yada, that communication. I call it the fumbling discoveries underneath the sheets. Uh, it hinders that communication with the spouse who needs help navigating to and through your physical sensations of pleasure the one who is has the masturbation habit the frustration prompts them to fantasize to accelerate the orgasm or it leads to what we call post-intercourse masturbation all of this is what David was alluding to. Ultimately, it leaves the couple discouraged, disappointed, and sometimes feeling defeated. Single persons address this issue of masturbation as well. I I would say to you (laughs) that the masturbation habit is probably one of the least talked about idle aspects in the Christian community in culture at large but you, they're they're lost you under, they're lost but it's a self-pleasuring aspect and it's not about boo bad pleasure it's how you're going about it and where your unbelief lies in this because even even one who claims to be able to masturbate without imagery the neural pathways are set increasing an expectation and a tolerance of neurochemical rewards that is requiring more and different stimulation, okay? So I was at a conference with Dr. Lacer in Dallas, the the i mean this is a battle there are a lot of people in, in, in ministry on sexual in, uh, intimacy or sexuality and purity or sexual addiction whatever it is that won't really touch conversations on masturbation because it's such a well it just depends on where you land and you know so i'm i've come up through this i have sought the scriptures i've been the one that says doesn't say anywhere in the scriptures that thou shalt not masturbate so that was it. doesn't say anything about it we could have a conversation about what I found, but I do know this, that the, you cannot get around, and this is what Lacer had to say when he was asked in that conference, what about masturbation? He says, I don't, because some people say, I'm not thinking about anybody. I'm just not. I'm not thinking about it. It's just something I do for me and whatever. It's okay. Let's just say that you don't and you don't have an image that goes through your head. You cannot get around the neurochemical tolerance that happens with the masturbation habit. We talked about how its intensity and its potency is 200% over the baseline for morphine or heroin. There is an intense release albeit not complete but there's still a release and now that individual becomes dependent on that release and the more they become dependent on that release is their comfort things are wrong with the world or they didn't talk to me today or I had a bad day at work and I just need. they are going to need new and different types of stimulation which is going to lead them further and further and further away does that make sense to you yeah, I got one head nod. You got to do better than that. Did that make sense? Because I can repeat the whole thing. <laughs> I am got on fire now. I think the caffeine's kicked in. So the good question to ask, whether you are married or single, but I am talking to my single friends, is, is there unbelief of God's ability to satisfy your needs without you taking control? Because that's where the rubber hits the road. Because there's unbelief under there. He hasn't brought me my spouse. I'm quite aggravated with you, God. I'll take care of this until you do. There's just an attitude behind there that needs to be addressed and uncovered. So we're going to talk about the influence of lust and pornography in the marriage bed. Now, if we think about the last slide, we can better understand the separation that a spouse would tangibly feel, whether they are male or female, I want you to know there are female sex addicts as well, and they are often married to a man who is now a spouse of an addict who has the same feeling that a female spouse of a male addict, okay? Can we agree with that? Okay, thank you. So they have this, they feel this separation uh, between them and their spouse even though they are touching during the coupling. There's something, and we call it like, there's something missing. They're just not there. And you kind of know it. There's the missing of that, that, that intimacy. In all situations, the person using lust or mental imagery is emotionally separated from true intimacy, One is the part of themselves is hidden and unknown. And remember, we're after yada, knowing and becoming known, no secrets. They're emotionally unavailable and even more so inside the marriage bed where they become lost inside their head, what David was alluding to. And that's whether male or female get lost inside your head because we have seen, sorry, The images of other men, of other women, pornography, our spouse is in there somewhere, kind of. But it's no longer enough to see our spouse. I have to bring up the recall of everything else I ever... And the way way it works is you get used to, in addiction, like alcoholism and sexual addiction and the neurochemistry of this, just like anything else, you get used to the level of the endorphins from that visual stimuli that you just got. And you wonder why people get into child pornography and bestiality and all of these other things that we think are sick, and they are, but they just didn't land there. Now I will tell you this, in your culture right now, kids are being introduced to pornography at the level what used to take years to get to. They're getting introduced to group sex, same sex, bestiality, all kinds of things. Bestiality is having sex with animals. And I'm telling you, when you start there, and that neurochemical tolerance is here, where do you go to get the perverse increase? Do you see what I'm saying? So what, what David was talking about is that now that eye gate has been opened, and you see all this stuff, the arousal is for that, you have the orgasm and the bonding, and now they're bonding not to the spouse, but to all these things. It's been said That it bonds the males to the pornography when it used to bind, it, it was designed to bind males to their mates, and I'm I'm using some vasopressin, uh, neurochemistry, um, issues there. Culture is producing this as we speak. Yes, sir. Oh, oh five minutes. Ain't no way. Yes. <laughs> He took my five. I got it. (laughs) All right, but the question is, who signs up for this? This this is for real. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, this is the real question. You who are ministering to the youth, the question is this. If we don't start bringing this up as a a point of conversation of of why not to hold off for the whole Hershey bar is because... If you don't ask good questions and if you do not select and you don't have the ability to delay your gratification to wait for God to bring you someone who is equally yoked, who has their eyes on him, you will end up with someone who is thinking about somebody else in the marriage bed. That is not a happy place. I'm telling you from experience, it's not a happy place.
0: And else your life all saying, like, porn doesn't hurt anybody else. Masturbation is normal, it's not a big deal. Looking at other women, how many of you on the job site, and like, everybody just staring at some people looking woman that comes into the office, or is standing on the road, or you're out on truck, and you see, it's okay as long people look, there's no touch. Right? Everybody's trying to convince you that none of those things matter. There's normal, healthy, so go for it. Mm-hmm. Masturbation, porn, staring, staring down on women. No that makes a
1: difference. so, all the that mm-hmm. so in, in this scenario the spouse senses the detachment even though if they're unaware of your pornography or your lustful habits because again they sense that something is missing this disconnect offers uh fosters tension and then fear and anxiety and then a growing distance continues to deteriorate that marital relationship. Now, the harmonious coupling, if it ever did occur, in being fully present, occurs less and less as anxiety increases in the relationship. So it, it, that totally destroys it. Sexual sin destroys the ability to have true intimacy with a spouse. Because there is a Secret between. And that's why recovery is such difficult work. Um, I've got one more slide and I want to quote before I get there. Julie Slattery, uh, someone that you should probably look at her book called Rethinking Sexuality. It's about presenting in your church um, dynamic how to rethink sexuality and bring it in. She makes this statement. She says If you're married, do you view sexual intimacy as a physical expression of your covenant promise? or is it all about pursuing your own desire? All right, you saw this slide in regard to the design. This time it's flipped. So where does all of this begin? So we're talking about forming the arousal template. Um, In response to the sexual stimuli, it it begins the creation of our arousal template. Dr. Carnes has stated that the arousal template can be discerned by the ages of five to eight. The emotions and eroticism become intertwined, including fear and anger. And then as we grow up, we incorporate our life experiences and sexual experiences with what we've been told or what we learn about sex into our sexual belief system or that template. And as we move from adolescence into adulthood, the template becomes our guide to what we feel to be erotic or sexually stimulating. Much of it remains at a subconscious level. Now, the arousal template is formed through associations of thoughts, images, behaviors, sounds, smells, sights, fantasies, and objects. Family messages, both verbal and nonverbal, early sexual experiences, childhood abuse, interpretations from culture, magazines, TV, movies, internet, social media, peers, advertising, and all of those things. The arousal template collects all that data and it's looking for patterns that arouses you sexually. The more emotionally charged the situation is, both on a positive or a negative, the more fusion occurs in the neural network, the more easily it remembers it. If there was fear, or I'm going to get caught, or there's anger, or if there was bliss even. So any of those, the, the, the more intense the emotion, the more fusion had it occurred in the arousal template. And this is how fetishes form the fusion of fear and pain and shame and pleasure that are found in behaviors, the BDSM, um, bondage, discipline, sadism, and masochism type of behaviors. Almost anything can become a part of the arousal template. A rural child growing up where there is no running water might have snuck behind the outhouse to peer in and watch a female family member urinate. The curiosity and the arousal could then become connected with urination, as we now see in spy cams in restrooms. Similarly, in the same way, it's with smoking with adolescents and they're fascinated with boys and girls smoking, can be fused with sexual arousal. There's a type of a look, the coolness, whatnot. All of that comes in with the arousal template. The objects, the situations, the scenarios, they become eroticized. And so to do the and so do the feelings that come accompany them. The fear and the risk are well documented documented neurochemicals that are escalators of the sexual experience as well as pain. So if there's pain with sexual pleasure, there's fear with sexual pleasure, they are escalators. And then the risk, of course. This all introduces the child to their arousal template, their arousal experience. And The question is that I have for All of us, is are we paying attention to what we're feeding our children and allowing them to be involved? And I call it the cultural cesspool. So when coupled with fantasy, with the sexually stimulating event is particularly now destructive in adolescence when their prefrontal cortex is as wet cement, forging neurological pathways that are going to remain developed, affecting future decisions. The optimal function of God's design for sex is hijacked to ruin the possibility of true intimacy with a future spouse. Tell me that is not sabotage. And who's in charge of that? It is the adversary, none other. Last comment on Dr. Lacer on a related note. He said, um, in talking to your kids about sex, and I will be giving two of these away tonight, he says that when very young children masturbate, sexual lust is obviously not an issue. But as kids get older, the physical pleasure they experience during masturbation becomes overtly sexual. They are more likely to fantasize about remembered or imagined sexual experiences. Now, I insert here that this is an opportunity for parents or anyone to build a healthy arousal template. Parents are able to create a safe environment for conversations about healthy sexuality from birth all the way through adulthood. And a parent's primary task is to fully address any issue without using fear tactics and shame messages, because this would avoid then fusing fear and shame with sexuality. Because lust and fantasy and pornography break covenant love. These images, these experiences are all brought into the marriage bed. And land here is that delayed gratification would be more successful with a clear vision of a more enjoyable, euphoric, marital union. And I'll leave you with this. This is a quote that I heard in 1998, I do believe. If you live for the moment, the moment will pass. And you will regret it. Thank you.